Good morning. Our text today is in uh, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 24. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, and the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day. I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. We just went from persecuted to kill pretty quick. I want you to see that. For this reason, they tried the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that it may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever doesn't honor the Son doesn't honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. This is the word of God. You may be seated. It must be a sign. You ever said that to yourself? I said it this week when I left work and hit every green light on Orange Grove all the way home. It must be a sign. I must have done really, really well today for the Lord. It happened Wednesday night at a, at a 10-year-old baseball game when an umpire uh, thought our team was a little more sophisticated than we are when he called our coach over and accused them of stealing signs from the other team. It's 10-year-old baseball. Just want to point that out. 
Oh, if we were that good. <laughs> um, sometimes when we think something's a sign, it's really not. Right? Sometimes when we think it's a sign, we, we put ourselves in somehow the beneficiary of the sign. There was another moment this week. On Thursday, our leadership team, so all the pastors, all the directors, Dwayne, you were there. Um, we were at Cliff and Joyce Penner's home for the day, for a, for a one-day off-site planning retreat. And, and, and if you, you need to know this about me, I love making lists, I love agendas, and I like following those lists and agendas. And so I had the most beautiful day planned for our staff. And really, all we were supposed to do um, was just one segment of some worship and being in the Word, and then we had some planning to get to for the fall. And Janine Smith and Jeremy led this time beautifully, and we're in the backyard of the Penner's home, and we're about the, the end of this queue. The end of this allotted time was about to happen. And so the whiteboard easel was up with the paper. It was ready to go for our next thing. And with about three minutes left, the wind came and knocked it over. And in, in a very honest sense, and I don't feel these things all the time, I just sensed an invitation from God for us to keep in this time to keep singing, to keep praying. We ended up having this fabulous time of prayer afterwards, threw off the whole schedule. Don't worry, it was still a great day. But God moves in the way God wants to move, and when he has a sign, it's important to understand, as Greg taught us last week, signs point to the one giving the sign. They should bring us to the Lord. They should tell us something bigger about God. And this text that we've read we have the third sign in the book of John. We've skipped the second sign. We'll get to it next week. It's more appropriate for Mother's Day next week, and I think that will make sense to you next week when Greg preaches. But we have a riveting text in which we see all kinds of symbolism, all kinds of signs that I hope get uncovered in our time today. But on its own, it's a pretty amazing story. If we just take it at face value and follow it, it's a, an amazing story with lots of very clear teachings and lessons. But in this series, we're looking specifically at the signs throughout the book of John. And, and we'll get there eventually today, but these signs are gonna tell us something about Jesus himself, tell us something about God, and tell us something about ourselves as humanity, because it's not just a story about Jesus and a man from a long time ago. It's a story about Jesus and a man that applies to you and me even today. So in these 24 verses, we enter a story full of drama, a story filled with scenes, and before we can look at the meaning of this text, we need to understand the text. And so I've broken it up into four different scenes. So let, let's, let's learn it really quickly. Let's see what's happening in there, and then we'll move on to what the meaning might be. First, scene one, the location and the condition is what I'm calling it, verses one to five. The location, we find out right away that this is taking place in Jerusalem, and there's this unnamed Jewish festival in which Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem. That's not the point of the text. You wouldn't know that by how many commentaries talk about what festival it probably is, they think, but it's really not the point of this text. We know it's an unnamed Jewish uh, festival. Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem, and specifically, he finds himself at the pool of Bethesda. And we get some details about this pool at the Sheep Gate. What does that mean? That means when people would bring in their animals to be sacrificed, this would be the entrance for their animals, and their animals would get cleansed and washed and, and, and rinsed off in this pool before they were sacrificed. 
So kind of the back gate into that, the back room into, the, into this ritual. It also tells us that there's five colonnades. That detail's incredibly important. Those five colonnades are to resemble at some level the five books of Moses, the law, it resurrected in this place, and now we have, that, that detail's gonna be important because think about the context now of these people waiting around and, and, and even the symbolism of the five laws. If we just get around religion enough and if we just get around the law enough and if we get to the, those, those, those books of Moses, then maybe we'll do all the right things that God will heal us. We find that this is a place where the disabled gathered and we find out that the pool itself is connected probably to both superstition and probably to real healing. But this idea that, that, that water gets stirred, at least once we can probably figure out that somebody was healed in these waters, that when the water bubbled up, people went in, probably was a spring under there, and someone was healed. And so now the, the people would gather around this pool and wait for the water to bubble and then rush into the water and hopefully be healed from their disabled condition. Pool is connected to both superstition and probably to at least one healing. Then we, f we meet the man briefly. We're going to meet him more in some interactions in the next scene, but what we find out is, is that he's an invalid. A and it's really important to note that what details are in the scriptures and which ones aren't, they matter. So what we find here is we, we've, we don't have any detail. In fact, I, would, I, I think what the text is telling us is that this man was not born this way. It said that he had been an invalid for 38 years. It didn't say he was 38 years old. There's something that has happened in this man's life, but for 38 years he's been an invalid. We don't know how he got there, but later as Jesus connects his physical healing and his physical state to sin, I think it's possible, and we'll talk about it in a moment, that his status, his, his, his disability is a result of some kind of sin in his own life. But I think it's really important to note that it's not saying he was born that way. 38 years, there's people who would say that's symbolic. That 38 years matches the 38 years that God's people were wandering in the desert looking for the promised land. And connect that with the colonnades, use the, the stage is set. Here comes Jesus into a very religious, very established place with a lot of Old Testament symbolism. Scene one. Scene one. The location and the condition. Scene two. We have a transforming interaction. Verses six to 15. What I want you to note in here. One, in the midst of many people gathered... In the midst of many, Jesus chooses one man. Jesus saw this man, listened to this man in verse 6. Jesus engaged him. He asked the man if he really wanted to get better. We'll get back to that. Jesus spoke, and when Jesus spoke words, the man was healed. And then we find out what one of the real big tensions of this text is. Jesus did it on the Sabbath. Jesus did it on a day you're not supposed to do these things as a religious person. We, we get the tension right away. We also find out that when Jesus spoke and healed this man, Jesus slipped away. 
got away. The man didn't even know who he was who did it. But then we find out in this transforming interaction that eventually Jesus will come back to the man and disclose to this man his identity and to continue to speak to him and to teach him. I think it's really important as you read that text where it says, uh, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. Um, It might be better understood and translated, stop sinning lest something worse happen to you. Jesus isn't speaking karma to this man. Don't sin or else something bad's gonna happen. It's better understood, stop sinning lest something worse will happen to you. I think it's important that in this interaction and even this less something happened to you, there's a clear connection to the man's condition and sin. Not saying that disabilities at all are a result of personal sin. In fact, John 9 is going to teach us something about that eventually, quite the opposite will show us this. But the text seems to make a connection to sin and the man's physical health. Likely a physical consequence for sin. I have a high school friend of mine. He was at Lake Havasu in college. He drank too much and decided to jump off a cliff. And as a result of that choice, he is now paralyzed from his waist down. See the connection and the consequence to sin? I think that's similarly happening to this man. There's something that happened, and the consequence for his sin was a physical reality of invalidity. Scene two, this transforming interaction. Scene three, I'm calling it the religious conflict. And I hope you saw it, right? We went from persecution to now we want this man killed because the Jewish leaders were upset that the healing took place on the Sabbath. Because guess what? We're not the only people who miss the point sometimes. That this miraculous thing has happened to this man who's been in this condition for 38 years and he can walk and he has healed, but the religious people are more upset about how it happened than celebrating that it happened. And there's this conflict. This conflict starts now and it's going to go all the way till Jesus is nailed to the cross. Jewish leaders upset that the healing took place on the Sabbath. Jewish leaders enraged enraged that Jesus was claiming status with God, was claiming to be God's son. Not allowed, not okay, not expected. This is a good time to insert that I think in our world, in our culture right now, everybody wants to reduce Jesus down to this really awesome human being who once lived. And he is an awesome human being who once lived. And Jesus is a good teacher and he's a good model for morality. But here's the problem. Jesus never claimed to be any of that. Jesus claimed to be the son of God. And so while our culture wants to reduce Jesus to just a a human being, religious figure, the text won't allow that to happen. Because this same human being is claiming co-status with God as his son. Jesus boldly claims himself as God's savior in verse, I think it's 18, when he says, my father still works on the Sabbath and I'm gonna keep working too. I'm not like you, rabbis. I'm not like you, Pharisees. I'm the son of God. And he's gonna go deeper in scene four, what I'm calling his unveiled divinity. Bold, and you heard it when I read it. 
and you have it in front of you. It is bold. It is clear statements from Jesus about his own divinity and about his status in the Godhead. Linking himself to healing of people, linking himself to God the Father, linking himself to salvation, linking himself to being the Savior of the world. Jesus, in scene four of this text, is unveiling his divinity to the religious leaders and through this miracle. Dramatic scenes. What does it mean? And honestly, I think the story itself preaches on its own. We could just stay with a very literal follow this and for years and centuries, God's word is amazing, isn't it? It will teach and it will preach all on its own. If we can just see this man, this transforming act, if we see the reality of Jesus declaring his divinity and the tension with the religious leaders that's gonna lead to the cross, it is part of our redemption story in such a clear way. But this text is the third sign. This text is loaded with things that are bigger than just what's happening in the text. And I mentioned to you at the beginning, there's two, two categories. There's some signs here of what we can learn about Jesus and God, and there's some signs of what we learn about ourselves. So let's start with Jesus, because that feels better. Some signs about Jesus. First one, I want you to see this. Jesus is personal. Look at this, verse 3. We find that there's a great number of disabled people in this scene. But verse 6, Jesus saw him, learned he had, asked him. This is incredibly important, especially when we think in a moment about the divinity of Jesus, that the God of the universe in the person of Jesus Christ lived, walked among all of us and didn't just speak to big rooms. He didn't just collect the masses and say, this is the way to do it, and this is the way to live. And what separates our faith from every other faith is the personal reality of Jesus. Yes, he teaches the masses, but he goes after the one. Jesus is personal. In the midst of the crowd, Jesus sought out a single person. We can see that Jesus was face to face and engaged in this man's life and in his story. I mean, read the detail. He didn't just walk in and spot him and know, and he knew everything about him, but it said he learned he had been in this situation. He went up to him in conversation. He dialogued with him. Personal. The God of the universe speaking to an individual because Jesus is personal. And I think it's important for us to see that Jesus spoke to the one even when he had a life of ministry speaking to the masses. That we have to see God as not just this thing we do all together, but that the living God, when you leave this place, Jesus wants to speak to you, walk with you, as an individual, Jesus is personal. The other, another sign, notice that Jesus extends invitation. Verse six, do you want to get well? I mean, we could have a whole sermon on this question. 
Because there's so many ways to hear it. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of a bold, kind of convicting statement. I, I, I don't, I hope, I hope maybe none of our pastors, if you've come up for prayer and asked for prayer, their first response to you is, well, do, do you really want to get well? I mean, at, at one level, it feels a little calloused, if we're honest. But the sign here is that Jesus extends invitations, that healing, that relationship, although he's personal, requires intimacy, and intimacy has a will to it, and our wills matter to Jesus. The day I asked Jenny to marry me, I said, will you marry me? It would have been a little bit different if I said, we're going to get married, okay? (laughs) Because the question of will creates intimacy. And Jesus, by interacting with this man, and there's all kinds of, we're going to get to the man because we are all this man. There's all kinds of reasons that probably he needed this question. And there's all kinds of reasons why you and I need this question. But Jesus is in the business of extending invitations to us. That yes, he's personal and he seeks after us and he speaks with us, but he also wants us to engage in mutuality, engage and build intimacy with him. And his invitations are all the time And they're for you and I to choose in or choose out of. The other sign I want to look at is Jesus' divine authority. Again, I've already said it, but our world and our culture really, really, really want to reduce Jesus down to just kind of this, this guy who's a great guy. You know, most people actually are drawn to Jesus whether they have faith in Jesus or not. It's been a long time since I've had a conversation with somebody who thinks Jesus was a terrible human being, who did horrible things with his life, and he's not worth following. Typically, those kinds of judgments and statements are referred to people who follow Jesus, not Jesus himself. Jesus is incredibly attractive to an unbelieving world, and, but the jump here is Jesus is not just a human being putting forth a philosophy of life. Jesus is God and his divine authority is demonstrated in this text. It's demonstrated a couple of ways. One, Jesus' authority to heal in verses 8 and 9. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Divine authority in Jesus' power to heal. He spoke words. And someone who was an invalid for 38 years was healed. Awesome human beings putting forth a philosophy of living living can't do that. I don't care how good their TED talk is. Jesus speaks, and when his words are spoken, people are healed. That's authority. The other authority that we see in this text, this divine authority, is his authority as co-divinity, verses 18 to 24. When we find out that the Sabbath rules don't belong, don't, don't, he doesn't have to live up to the rules because he's the rule maker. Jesus is in charge and he will do as he pleases. Why? Because he's God. And God doesn't take any days off. God doesn't take any minutes off. God is going to move how God is going to move. And Jesus is saying, that God who runs everything, who established everything, who created everything, who even created the rhythm of living you're all trying to live with this Sabbath, that's me. 
And so I'm going to move and work as I see fit because I am God. Three signs of Jesus. He is personal, he is invitational, and he is divine. And these signs of Jesus interact and they, they, they come to, to light in some signs about humanity. And, and we can think humanity for all of time, but you're allowed to think of yourself here because we are humanity. So what are the signs in this text about us? One, I think it's really important that you see we are all the invalid. This is not a story about one guy way back when sitting at a pool. This is a story about you. This is a story about me. Weak, compromised, disabled because of sin. Remember, no detail saying the man was born this way. God is showing a connection in this story to the consequences of sin, and this is not just his story. This is our story. And I don't know what your five colonnades are and your 38 years, whatever symbolism or things you put around your life that hope, if I just do these things enough, then my condition will change. Jesus is saying, above all that tradition, even above all that pursuing of the things of God or the ways of God, that we're all the invalid. This is our story. If you cannot see yourself as this man in this text, I pray you can. I pray you can one day, even today. So if we're all the invalid, guess what? We too are waiting at our own Bethesda's. We've been in our condition for a long time. We too have been hoping that something will just happen or we've resigned that nothing will happen, that this is just the way we are, that the sin in my life that keeps showing its head or the things that have been a part of my story over and over again, some of us are just laying by the pool hoping maybe someday I can get down there first but I'll just be content laying here and just accept the fact that this is who I am. Some of us are laying by the pool and and buying every little book we can and subscribing to every blog we can and trying everything we can that if we just get the religious combination right, then all of a sudden we'll be free. Even in things connected to God, those things are not necessarily God. Our life and world is full of self-help, life hacks, superstitions. We too, if we're the invalid, we too have our own Bethesdas. Another sign for you and me, we too must respond to Jesus' invitation because waiting around at Bethesda isn't going to do anything until we accept the invitation of Jesus to get up and start moving. Because life with Jesus, remember, he's personal. But it requires a response. And I've learned after following Jesus for as long as I have, it requires response after response after response after response. I think that's what Jesus was getting at when he says, take up your cross daily. 
Because every day is a response to obey, to follow, to make Jesus the center of our life. The question is still being asked of you and of me, do you want to get well? And although Jesus is asking that question, that to answer that requires action, it requires a response. There's one more sign here, because we're the invalid, but we're also the Pharisees too and the religious leaders. I hope you see that. Because you and I also miss Jesus when he is outside of our personal experience and expectation. You and I who follow Jesus aren't just the invalid in this story. We're all humans in this story. And we will miss the point all the time. What what do you mean that person experienced that? That's that's not how God works. Uh, This person's testimony is so radically different from your own testimony that we can minimize or we don't think God works in that way. We try to bring in God to our own personal experience and keep it so tight and narrow that when somebody experiences God outside of that, we're quick to really look over our own experience and judge that they must not really, not really have experienced God. So let's not get super judgmental on these Pharisees because you and I are the Pharisees too. When God does something that's outside of what we're comfortable with, we question the authenticity. We downplay and deny the work of God. Just a couple of years ago, I was in a conversation with someone in my family who was watching the Billboard Music Awards. I don't watch that show, but this last week, I caught it for a little bit with Jenny. Jenny, you'd say that's true, okay? Um, And I thought it was just an, honestly, it was just, it was a little much for me. Just the, it was just a little over the top from the way everybody was dressed to the lyrics of the song. And I'm reflecting back to a family member who told me that they were watching the Billboard Music Awards and there was some lyric that somebody was singing that all of a sudden Jesus made sense to them and that's where they start their journey with Jesus. Okay, well, praise God now, yeah, but I was a Pharisee, I'm admitting to you. (laughs) Jesus doesn't speak through the Billboard Music Awards. Instead of celebrating what God was doing in my family member's life, I, got, I, I spent way too much energy trying to discredit what happened in their life. See how we're the Pharisee? So there's so many ways to apply this. We're so happy to go after tradition versus the present moment. So how might we apply it this week? I have two questions I think we need to wrestle with, and one is this. What condition have you been in for a long time? What condition have you been in for a long time? I want us to reflect both personally personally and corporately on this, but personally this. What sin? What do you know you know you know that you haven't been able to get over or give fully over to Jesus? Some of us have had this part of our life for so long that we're just saying that's who we are. We've given up. And Jesus is saying, do you want to get well? What sin? Hear the invitation of Jesus to freedom and healing. Some of us, you know the most humbling thing about standing here and and doing this 
with you this morning is I know that for many of you, you already have a plan for sin when you leave this room. You already have it set up. You know that you're going to leave here and engage in that, that thing again or that relationship again or that activity again or that website again. You already have a plan. We have a personal Jesus who's inviting you away from that, saying, do you want to get well? So whether you have hope or not, let the hope and healing of Jesus be loud in your life today. Jesus is not just generally talking to a crowd. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to you personally, and he's inviting you out of whatever it is you haven't been able to get out of. So personally, corporately, Lake Avenue Church. Lake Avenue Church, I think this is a good season for us to ask the question, what condition have we been in for a long time? We're in this, we're not calling it anymore, we're transition. We got a meeting in two weeks where we're gonna vote. We love voting, that's great. But I think it's a good season for us as a body to seek the Lord and to ask the question, what, what condition have we been in a long time? And are there places and ways we need to acknowledge? I've been here a long time. When I think about myself within this body, there are just a few things I, I'd like the Lord to heal us from, to invite us into something. And one is just assuming the worst. Assuming the worst in one another, assuming the worst about process or something. I mean, one of, yeah, just assuming the worst. I think it's a really good time for us to start really loving one another. One of the most powerful things this week was Thursday in our prayer time of all these different congregations and, and the spirit of unity across differences and I just thought it was beautiful, and I'm grateful that we have a church where we don't have to gather with other churches to get that feeling, but we've got to work for that. Maybe some of us have been holding on and not seeking forgiveness and reconciliation for a long time, and you map your mornings here, your evening here, to make sure you're not near where you used to be because there's broken relationship. What condition have you been in for a long time? Ponder that question. The other question is where do you need to get up and start walking? Jesus has the authority to heal. Whatever condition you've been in for a long time, some of you today are ready to say, that plan I have, I'm, let's, I'm ready. Take up your mat and walk. At our, prayer, at our staff retreat this week, I had our staff reflect for a while, went out into a time of prayer, asked the question. We didn't talk about names. That was very specific. I said, but think about some people in our congregation that you're in relationship with. Ask the Lord to tell you what is going on in their life. What are they, what are they wrestling with? What, what is stressing them out? What is losing sleep? And then I said, let's reflect on what scriptures speak to that as we think about putting our sermons together for next year. And one that was said over and over and over again was the amount of broken relationship and marriages that are in this congregation. We have a lot of roommating happening in the church. 
but the passion and the sacrifice and the love and the romance and the healed tensions of marriages. There's, there's a lot of that. Where do you need to start walking? Maybe some of you need to pick up your mat and walk towards May 18th. Read about it in there. We've got a, a night for, that's to invest in your marriage. Stop sitting by the pool hoping that something's going to get it better. Start picking up your mat and walking towards intentional choices to bring healing and wholeness to your marriage. That's why we do these events. Some of you, you, you're in such broken relationship with someone in your family or someone in this church, take up your mat and start walking towards that person and connect and seek forgiveness. Some of you need forgiveness for yourselves that you're in, 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 a, in a spiral of, of self-doubt and depression and when you can't even look in the mirror because you look at someone who has gone over and over and over again, someone you don't like, pick up your mat and start walking towards Jesus. Let him heal you. Let him restore you. Where do you need to get up and start walking Jesus has the authority to heal. Jesus is not just a, a good man. He is the living God. So in this final song of the morning, chosen very intentionally, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We'll all sit, and if something in your life, you say, I, I need to get up and start walking. The song is about coming down to the altar. We're, we're not going to do that, but you can stand in your spot as a sign and a symbol. When that man got up and walked, guess what? Everybody saw him do it. Some of you, you just want to stand up in your heart, but this morning I'm asking you to stand up. If you're saying there's somewhere in my life I've been in this condition a long time, and I want to make a commitment this morning to picking up my mat and start walking. If that's you during the song, please stand during the song at some point.